This episode of the Multi-Hypho podcast has been recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri and Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. Hey Candy. Hey, wouldn't it have been cool to have seen a little chubby mixed-race black girl on Australian TV when you were growing up? Like Sally from Home and Away, but Cindy from Eagle Vale. I mean, Cindy would have gone through the things you went through, like having unacceptable food items in her lunchbox, having an unacceptable afro on school photo day, struggling to find jeans that fit over her awesome thighs, struggling to find a boyfriend who appreciated her awesome thighs, struggling, then releasing, then appreciating and accepting her awesome thighs. I mean, yeah, that would have been cool. So even the name, I was like, it's going to be an acronym. Like every government department's an acronym of itself. So I was like, get rid of the vowels and SZN. And then everything from that was kind of a super reduction. And that's something I saw a lot of in the galleries in, um, in Canberra is um, minimalism, like minimalist brutalism, which is everything to its bare bones and it's exposed truth. I want to talk to people from multiple identities, multiracial, multisexual, multi-creative folks, people who don't fit neatly into boxes or have to tick multiple boxes or have to make new boxes of their own. Multi-hyphenates, multi-hyphos. Multi-hyphenates, multi-hyphos. Susan Lohi wears many hats. She's a mama, an eco-minimalist, a DJ, and a textile artist who specialises in sustainable design via her label SZN. As a fashion designer, Susan utilises her own reductive pattern-making style to produce minimal silhouettes that focus on craftsmanship and soulful, intelligent design. You can also find Susan spinning records around town under her reggae moniker, Selecta Suze the Fuse. Damn, I love that. Brutalism is something that people, I think we think of, because the word brutal has been semantics, you know, it it gets chucked around, chipped around, but I love the concept of brutal honesty. Mm -hmm. And when I looked up brutal, I thought, oh, brutal is not... Um, actually negative, as negative it as I thought. It doesn't have to be negative, yeah. No. Just be exposed, it's, it's, it's really. This, it's, and, and to get to, to cut to sort of the centre of it or to cut to the truth of it or that, what do they call it, like the rock, the rock is like the truth when you hit yeah. the rock, yeah. Like we have teachers who would say, you're not going to reinvent fashion realistically. You might have some really mm-hmm. out there stuff, but he's, my teacher had said, um, his name was Dr. Steve Wright. I really like him. He's really pushed me. I, really, I fought mm. with him a lot, so he's my favourite teacher because he's the one I <laughs> argued with the most. Lovely. Um, and he basically said most people have, you know, one head, two hands and some legs. You, you just got to get cloth around that. Everything else yeah, you do wow. will, be your, will be your design signature and what do you want to stand for? And he was, mm. he was brutal in his honesty. Um, mm. And really big on going to visit all these institutions that were around us, like the War Memorial, the art galleries, portrait galleries, to get inspired as fashion designers Mm. to not just create what you can already see but what you hope to see. Mm. So in that way, 
I was really happy I studied in Canberra and not Melbourne or anywhere else because I had those teachers, that teacher particularly, and I had that surrounds, which was like almost a lack of exposure to too much stimulus, you know. Yes. And You're not expected to be course? fashion. Yes. That course was a Bachelor of Design in Fashion Design run through a TAFE. So ah. it's like super practical because you've got the very vocational kind of elements that were for the first two years and then the third year turns it into a degree by giving you kind of more a conceptual practice. I know there's stuff happening right now where we're seeing more and more and more diverse looking people, more yeah. black models, more Aboriginal models, more um, black diaspora models, more mixed race models, more body yeah. sizes shifting. Have you seen yeah. that shift a well, lot in your workplace? A lot now since Black Lives Matter's recent protest, that there's, mm. I, and some of it verges on colour washing, I'm not so convinced by yes. it. I feel like people who are doing it don't need to announce they're doing it because they're already doing it. So mm-hmm. it annoys me when a company's not doing it, so suddenly do it makes me feel, it's a feeling, you know the feeling. But it's cosmetic. It's, it's a cosmetic. performance. Yeah, and it, it annoys me. But I am um, hoping, I don't know, I often get, allocated to what is seemingly a multicultural runway when my garments are nothing remotely multicultural about them. I'm using denim patchwork together. And while I've been so lucky to be embraced by parades that are put on by people from the African diaspora, and they've been my big, like my first award I won, was not a good design award. It was a Celebrate Africans in Australia Designer of the Year Award. And that was uh. awarded to me at Parliament House in Canberra. That was awesome. And that was mm. kind of like from my people, <laughs> by yeah. my people. To the people. I was like, thanks, guys. Um, but then when yeah. you come to do like a runway and you see that a lot of the other people in the runway show are just from different parts of the world but their clothing looks nothing like yours, I go, well, everything I have is gender neutral, verges on masculine. Mm. I could have been in a men's runway or a streetwear runway but I'm put into a show with a modest dress runway which the modest dress designer designs in fluid um, kind of more feminine, like feminine shapes, but really like the, yeah. the fabric type itself is kind of like women's day wear. Three mm. other labels I could think of that she should have been placed with. Yeah. I'm not one of them. So I start the, wondering how are we lumped together? Are we all the leftovers or are we actually considered because of our Is there an artistic higher, higher concepts going on? That's yeah. what we need to keep it's hard to feeling know. and pushing for. But you know and when you feel that feeling, it's not one you want to ignore because you kind of go, I it's like it's not overt. It's never overt. It's kind of a yeah. feeling where you go, I don't quite understand it, but do mm. I want to question it? When should mm. I question it? And it's sometimes dis- just being there, you feel like you're representing in itself. So It's dissatisfying. It's unsatisfying, but also that dissatisfaction is a good thing to acknowledge because it can help us shift or push out or punch up or, you know, clear our way. But it is, it does, it does it's tiring to have to do that on top of everything else as well. I definitely yes. think that some people, I'm more geared towards that, but I don't think all people of colour should have to be the, that sort of a warrior because it's tough. It's exactly. really tough. Now, yeah. I know you, so I know this about you, but I'm often fascinated. You know I'm fascinated by your father. And I read somewhere... We all that- are. <laughs> Intriguing Look, let's, to the day. Let's talk. <laughs> there are three things that intrigue me the most. One of them is that he's European, which means yeah. that he did some embarrassing things for you as a teenager, like wear his underpants when your friends were over. <laughs> oh, that's if he was wearing underpants. <laughs> swims, swims naked. The naked body is, <laughs> anyway. is for Europe. It's all good for a teenager growing summer. up in, <laughs> in Queensland. It's like all bad. 
So I think I read somewhere that he, he helped you learn how to sew a skirt. Yes. Is that right? Yeah, I was like pff, 10, I think. Wow. Grade five or something. And I was like, I want this skirt. It was pretty much a rah-rah skirt. Mm. I saw it in a, like a Kmart catalogue. And Dad yes. didn't buy much clothing. We went to lots of secondhand shops. Um, and um, that skirt wasn't in the secondhand shop that week. And I wanted this specific skirt. So I bought the fabric. Um, and he's like, okay, how do we go about this? And he's like a draftsman. So he kind of thinks mm. architecturally. He's like, measure waist, put that there on the newspaper, chop it up. It fits. Mm. <laughs> Can't say it was beautiful, but it fit. Yeah. And so I think that's a logical approach to making things work or anything. I think actually something that we all have in our family as kids, there's a logical approach to fixing a problem. Like you now, don't necessarily know if you're going to be an expert in it, but you'll figure out how to get there because yes. you should figure it out for yourself. Because you are one of my friends that can pull apart things and put them back together or is constantly plastering or <laughs> tinkering or re-sewing something. And there's that, I definitely see that like sustainability edge, but I'm also intrigued in how growing up, with this European dad, like, because yeah. what did, he, he had to be able to do so many things, right? So many things. Well, he was things. taught to sew by his mum. Right. Yeah. And so, where? Where did he grow up? So he's from the Czech Republic, from Prague, from the capital. Mm. <clears throat> and um, our grandmother was a dressmaker, I believe, and a swimming teacher. She was a couple of interesting things. Oh, a bit and, of a um, multi-hypho, swim teacher. A multi-hypho. Um, <laughs> Fashion designer. She had travelled lots, and by lots I mean mostly to visit my dad. So once he left Czech Republic um, in the 60s, she would visit him in the countries that he had moved to. So mm. I say moved loosely, <laughs> my grandson moving. He had escaped communism yeah. um, to go to South Africa. and I then think the word, the word is fled. Fled, not fled. Leave <laughs> <laughs> that shit behind. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So he left that, and then you know our grandmother had visited to South Africa. I think a couple mm. of times. I think it's her happiest cool. was her happiest memory in her life because when I visited her years later and on my own without my dad, um, she already started to have some like memory loss and Alzheimer's mm. um, things. She was calling me my mum's name. Oh, wow. My South African, so uh, my mum's name. Yeah. And then she'd be telling me stories over and over again of Christian, who's my brother, who's mm. you know, behind the scenes <laughs> producer today. Um, yes. Yeah, and so, yeah, I think Dad's also got happy memories from South Africa because of these reasons. Like his mum was lively and happy and visiting and he had, you know, someone he mm. loved and he used to fly a plane. He was a pilot in South Africa. All these, all these things that were dreams for him had happened mm. in South Africa. Isn't that incredible? So, <clears throat> do you know why your dad chose South Africa? Because um, if I think, think about Prague, you're thinking maybe I would assume at the UK or Canada or something, but I'm South to think Africa. Of, well, he likes warm weather. He hates winter. So, he's definitely okay. going where – and for him, he's also adventurous. He's like, I want to go somewhere else. I think he had wow. friends there or had heard of people going there and had maybe – thought that's where he could use his skills best because he had just finished what was the equivalent of like a TAFE college course in hydraulic engineering. So he went to South Africa mm. looking for work. He was doing English. He studied English in South Africa. So his accent's wow. like a South African, a South African of, accent. Kind of South African accent. Okay. Which I didn't even realise until I was maybe 13 or 14 when someone said to me, oh, your dad's got such a thick accent. I'm like, thick like what? Yeah. I was like, what do you mean? Like literally I had never noticed he had an accent right on which made me wonder had I noticed 
that Aussies, Aussies have accents? Because yeah. I had not I thought think, about it. Yeah, today I find that, like, I had to deal with an IT fellow recently with a really broad Australian accent and I couldn't understand him. I said, you're going to have to articulate, mate. Like, on the phone, I can't actually understand you. And I think, I don't know what I sound like either. Like, I was in yeah. the States and I did a pilot reading while I was in LA and I just said, before we get started, I know you're going to spend your whole, this whole reading trying to place me if I don't tell you the mix that I am, you know, because um, you can be like, is she Kiwi? Is she English? Is she Canadian? Like, they, what is she just, doing there? <laughs> <laughs> what is that sound? And it was, it was so nice at the end because I was surrounded by all these um, actors and and writers, and they were they were just sort of transfixed. It's like the first time you see anyone, and and I got to play a really comic role, and particularly you know someone from the African diaspora. They'd never thought of people like us living in Australia. So they were just fascinated. But tell me, so your dad comes to South Africa, which is where he meets your mum. Yes. Yeah. And straight away, I think it was many years of working and Mm. living the high life. He travelled a lot from South Africa. He travelled to Brazil and Japan in the 70s because he had cash. He had money. He was like, I'm going to go travelling. He bought a plane. He got his pilot licence. So when he met my mum, he had the plane already. So they went flying around on weekend trips what? camping. So there's lots of great what? pictures of mum, um, his mum and dad and Christian hanging out oh. by his plane. <clears throat> that yeah. is so cool. Do you know where they met? Did they meet in a club? Did they meet in no, a, on the street? They lived in the same apartment building. Um, and the story goes, and maybe I could get corrected by my brother, <laughs> that one day he was looking out the window and saw a TV fly past. And he was like, whoa. And then I think went up to check what was going on and my mum was having an argument, I believe, with her partner and I don't know how it ensued, she ended up living with him. Ooh. With Christian, and, my brother. And, and a TV got thrown out the window. Well, I don't know who threw it. I, to this day I don't know if it was my mum got pissed off or her partner had gotten pissed off or what had happened. That and is- then that's the bit I know, that, that's the only bit I really know. And then they, they met, obviously hung out, loved each other and then created a really great album of photos, which we had these great, amazing slides because he was also quite a bit of a documenter and Ooh. just photos of the camper van. He had a combi, photos of the plane, my mum's cool styles, photos of my mum's family who are in near Kimberley where you are from, from, mm. from Richie. Um, yeah. yeah, photos of South Africa, the cities, the countryside, tribal people still like, you know. Yes. Right there in the cities and that sort of just life, yeah, just mm. interesting and interesting stories also. So let's <laughs> zoom into your childhood because there's another thing I really want to talk about because I just think it's so fascinating and we just don't really see it yet mm-hmm. in Australia. Like I am obviously a writer of screen and stage, and you told me a story about being in an is it an umpa band? Is that how you say it? Yeah, Czech poker band. I don't know. It's an official term. We're pretty dodgy. We actually sometimes tweak our name, tweak our name to get German gigs too. So, <laughs> so let's be clear though, <laughs> and and people will see your image on online and hopefully run over to SZN and have a look at the clothes too. I've got to say, I just purchased some new pants that are killing it. They're so soft, such lovely denim. Um, <laughs> just putting it out there. I just want to get this picture. So yeah. your dad and your, your dad's check. Your mum's yeah. South African, Rosa, similar to me. I have Rosa in my background as well. Mm-hmm. And they have these 
children, you, yourself yep. and your sister. Yeah. And I, I, I love this time frame because I f- it feels like your dad didn't even blink and he just went, I'm going to teach them my culture, dress you in leader hats. Oh, no, no, no. So no. when he migrated, he wanted to make friends, but he's not into sports, so he joined a brass band. Okay. And one of the things you get when you join a brass band is a free instrument that ah. you can use for your life as long as you're a part of the band. So he's using the same cornet he has now from the last 30 years. So he's wow. like, girls, if you want to play music at school, join the band and you'll get a euphonium, a trumpet, whatever you want, play it with wow. your school band, but you must be dedicated to your brass band as well. So we and were the, all but, in a brass band as a family first. But then yeah. where did the umpa, like where did the polka band start up? Well, one of the visits or last visits of our grandmother, because we've been practicing now as three of us could play, because Andrea, my sister, was not old enough to play as well. He's like, well, let's play some music that's great for ensemble, which is this polka music he knew. So our, our grandmother had sent some books over that she'd found, and then when she visited she'd brought a whole stack of books as an, an arrangement for a whole ensemble, like a whole brass band, as in like first, second, third part, solo parts, different bass, tuba, check, trombone. Check. All check in these little books. Yeah. They're like short check polkas and waltzes, yeah? Yeah. Um, so we would just practice those at home for fun, mm. <laughs> for fun. Well, Dad basically mm. also said, if you want to be in the school band and you want to be in the brass band and if you want to live in this house, you have to practice. That was half Ooh. an hour every day and it was wow. easy to do, just do it all three of us at once. Um and I always just was like bemoaning, why can't we play cool music? <laughs> why can't I play a violin or a bloody guitar? And he also squashed so, that. He says, no, you don't have the ear for that. Better play trumpet. But I think it was to keep me on the bloody instrument. So and you became day, a little trio. <laughs> yeah, we were a trio but had nowhere ah. to play, just in our playing downstairs in the basement in the yes. rumpus room. And then one day, Dad, we bought this trombone and none of us, we, we all could play it but we didn't enjoy it so we went to sell it and this guy rocks up. Kiwi guy who has a German poker group, a German umpa band. He goes, hey, you guys, to buy the instrument, he goes, let's all jam together. So we get out the music and dad gives him the music and we all start jamming on the polka. I I, I say polka, people say it's poker. I say polka. Um, Polka, And then the guy goes, you guys are great. Do you want to come join my band? We have this German band that practices at the German club in Wollongabba every Sunday. No. Dad's like, like, yes, sold the (laughs) trombone. And next thing you know, every Sunday we're playing bloody polka at the German club, which actually led to gigs because then the German club is a venue and wants yes. music to be played during Oktoberfest. I've been there. I had beer and ate something there, sauerkraut yeah. or something. I've been there. It's a big Do club. You... Lots of people go there. Yes, in Wollongabba, in Queensland, of course. And then, but did you wear Lederhausen is my question. Well, when we got our first gig, we had to start inventing some things. So Dad was like... <laughs> Then he pulled out of the woodwork shit I've never seen. Well, and Czechs don't wear Lederhausen anyway, but <clears throat> when we yeah. were moonlighting as this Bavarian band because we got a gig at a golf yes. course and Dad's like, they won't yeah. know the difference. Let's play the Czech music. Let's dress like the Germans. Let's get the gig. Let's get the cash because it was paying quite a lot. At that time, I think yeah. I was 13 and we were getting 100 bucks each. That's like 20 yes. bucks an hour. Was, Damn, that's the good. The going wage was five bucks an hour when I was a kid. If I was going to work at Big yes. W, it was five or six bucks. Yes, yes. So we rock up to the gig in this mishmash of vibes. <laughs> like the other dudes are just pinning shit to felt hats. The other ladies just wearing like a peasant blouse of flowers. My sister <laughs> and I have tied ribbons in our hair. We had one authentic item amongst all of us, which was this really cute like apron that my 
grandmother had sewn with all these like ribbons wow. and pictures on it. And that was the most authentic item, which is ironic that we didn't have more. And then I copied that myself by making the exact same replica of that skirt in my own ones. My sister and I had one each. My dad, I think, rolled his pants up and put some braces on. <laughs> and Bill, the Kiwi guy who's not German, was wearing a yeah. Lederhausen. <laughs> into German music for so many years. And then the funny thing is when we go to play gigs, people go, they say to me, you look very German. And then Bill would interrupt because she's the most German person in the band because that's the truth. It'd be like yes. literally these two girls and if, if my dad, sometimes we did gigs without my dad, it would just be my sister yes. and I with our oh. music teachers, people yes. questioning our presence. And they're like, we're Kiwi, she's English, those two are Czech. So if it wasn't yes. for those two, what would those we have? Those two little mixed race African Czech girls are the closest <laughs> thing we've got to Germany right here. Yeah, they yes. were both born in, where were you guys born? In Queensland or In something? Queensland, Brisbane. Yeah. <laughs> those two little mixed race Czech, South African, Czech, Rosa, <laughs> Queensland born girls are the closest thing we have to Germans right now. Yeah, I mean, this it. to me is Australia and people really don't, get it because it's so wild it's so yeah. wild and um do you know also, who never questioned you know who never questioned us in german club or czech club yeah no one there inside. said no, when you're there no one said oh you don't seem like you belong here maybe because we write yeah. about dad but yeah. maybe because we're playing music too but it was yeah. really people who don't know much about other cultures apart yes. from what they grow up with that don't get it and probably because, you know, I mean, this is, for me, obviously I'm a storyteller, but this sounds ripe for a great Aussie film. But we don't think of Australians yet as being exactly who we are, like how we grew up. Like Could I grew you play up, me? Could you play <laughs> me in this I, I, I realised the other day if I was to shoot anything about my family, I'd be playing my mum. It really weirded me out. I went, oh, my gosh, yes. I'm my mother's age. <laughs> but, yeah, because I grew up in Birchall Grove in North Dandenong. Mm-hmm. We had um, Mr Falcom, the Dutch people with the pristine gardens next door, ah, then the yep. Greek folks on the other side, mm-hmm. um, you know, the real bogans next to that, Arnie Bev, who Darren, the children, I grew up, like, you know, crashing on ginger mullets and long legs yeah. and short shorts because of that. It's a good look. Then down I the road. I mean that. Genuine. <laughs> Yeah. Annie Marianne, you know, who's from the same village as mum, and then uh, the Wahlbergs around the corner, some more South Africans, but it was such no a way. same village street. as your mum. So you had yes. some South Africans around you. And that's sort of how we came together, but I thought it was really funny too because I know our parents and my mum definitely sewed too because as coloured women you weren't buying things from shops, you were looking in the window having a mental note, going home, maybe getting a catalogue and mm-hmm. cutting it and sewing it with your aunties for yourself. So then, you know, get to the 80s in North Dandenong, there's dress-up party. We're all, you know, my sister had this beautiful bright blue princess dress that had been made out of a shower curtain that was the most incredible Amazing. dolly dress, you know. Yeah. We were all... <clears throat> little Chinese pyjamas from our aunties. We were all dressed, like, to the hilt, like, with the <laughs> beautiful sewn outfits. And I remember Darren coming as weed boy. He'd just sticky-taped grass and weeds to his body and he had, like, green undies on. And I was like, <laughs> this is Australia. This is Australia, right? Yeah. And all these different coloured kids running up and down the street. We had one of those great streets and we were quite on the top where it's like mm-hmm. you could ride your bike right down. Like everybody rode carts and bikes and just oh, to nice. broken. I remember running 
like going down the hill and they're trying to do a hard turn and literally running into my oh. neighbor's letterbox. But, um, you know, and we just had this real mix in Dandy and I, I, I'm dying to see that in our cinema spaces and on our stages because oh, it's yeah. really unique to this country, yeah. I think. Uh, the world tells me this when I tell my stories in any other part of the world. They're like, what are you talking about? Yeah. I don't think anyone could understand what Australia is like <laughs> until you've lived yeah. and grown up in it. Yeah. understand what you ate growing up what did you eat <laughs> so like much Czech stew. food no, Czech food my mum uh like the Colombian mum probably oh, yes. more oh equal parts that's a good cook lots of stew yeah. things yeah across the board across everybody's, the board everybody's cooking stew from every everyone's cooking stew South yeah. African stew Czech stew Colombian mum would probably call it soup but it's pretty mm. thick heavy soup and then dad would call that same thing a stew mm. so yeah but um He's also a bit of a permaculture garden person. Mm. Like he's been transforming mm. our backyard into a permaculture garden and becoming uber conscious of locally made food. So also that changed mm. how they eat. So how they eat now is very different from what we ate when we were younger. Yes. But it's a lot of like leafy greens that are picked from the backyard and it's like eating the weeds and the flowers and the plants and all the bits and pieces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Was there any particular drinks as well? He brews beer. Czechs are the number one consumers of beer per capita in the world. Like, they're the biggest Whoa. beer drinkers. And that includes wow, grandmothers wow. who even drink non-alcoholic beer. Like, they're a very small nation, but they drink a lot of beer. And it's cheaper, at least it was when I was there last, than buying bottled water. Mm-hmm. Beer is cheap. And it comes like in different coke. strengths. Yeah, yeah, right. It's crazy. But Dad has always brewed beer, but he'll drink maybe one tally, you know, a bloody month, if that. Okay, this is a really important question. What about dessert? What about desserts? Across um, the board. Because South Africans go pretty hard with desserts. That's this health-conscious person. He yeah, right. He never let us get into sugar very much. Strudels. Strudels. Yeah, I, I know them. We hardly ate them. He never hardly ever cooked oh. them. Occasionally as an activity would make a cake and then he would go wipe out half the ingredients. He'd have this recipe and he goes, uh, that's too much sugar, take it out. That's too many uh, eggs, and take it out. And if you see uh, what he bakes now, he bakes his own rye bread, he's infusing it with black sapote, He's infusing mm. with choco that he's oh, anything wow. that's growing around him. So this bread, which is a pure dense piece, is a loose mm. term for bread. It's everything mm. shoved into it that he's trying yep. to use up from around the house, and that's how he's always right. cooked. Yeah. So desserts came more from the Colombian side, and not even that much because mum, dad, good team would probably back each other up. So she would be like, oh, occasionally, you know, would have things, but yeah, mm. not a lot of sweets. Yeah, maybe jelly. It's very Aussie. <laughs> yeah, right. jelly. Yeah, that is so Aussie. I loved <laughs> jelly growing up. I just loved canned peaches and vanilla ice oh. cream. I remember one time um, my mother's lunch got mixed up with my lunch. Yeah. And I opened bit into a sandwich that had t- 
tongue on it. So my mum would love... Yeah, we ate things like Yes, that. tongue. Liver, butter, tongue. Tongue, liver, liverwurst, which now I go, oh, um, pate. But back then it was like disgusting. Yeah, yeah. I actually screamed and <laughs> cried and she went out and bought me potato cakes from the local fish and chip shop because I lost my shit as a kid. I mean, it's so hard. What's in your lunchbox? That's your cred at school. Yeah. All I wanted was a piece of white bread with some ch- those cheeses that come out of the plastic things. Yes. You know, that's all I wanted in life. That was Craft kidding singles. Me yeah, and now if I go to a bloody cafe, all you get is bloody ricotta mm. cheese on bread with you know, <laughs> salami. Yes. yes. What could I expect uh, on on the decks from Selector Sue's Diffuse? A lot of reggae. <laughs> <laughs> reggae is like my foundation moment. And then um, from that, a lot of local stuff. So if I can kind of rep any local hip-hop artists or mm. cool women, local women artists doing amazing things like Mojo and Kira. Mm. Mm. And, you know, those sort of guys, man-made mounts and so crates. That's all the kind of people I play. Sampa, of I course. Saw, yes, and I saw Kate. I saw Kate wearing your clothes in a yes. fashion spread. That's so She's pretty that. fantastic. Kate, Emma Donovan I play a lot if I'm DJing mm. out. All these ladies. Um, a fan. She's a fave, yeah. a fave, Tiana Kazi, another great local person. And then I'll kind of mix it up with a bit of Latin cumbia stuff and if I can – I'll fuse in some blues if it's upbeat and stuff. Lots of funk mm. and soul. What was the last record you bought? Whoa. Um, oh, it was a trench, Trenchtown mix-up. It hasn't even arrived. It's gone on, it's on vinyl and I'm waiting for it to get here. The bloody corona holding up my mail. Yes, but, um, from Jamaica. Yeah. From Jamaica. I think actually that record's probably in, in Germany. A lot of really good records are coming from German, place, German um, record shops. Podcast-wise, I'm listening to Conscious Chatter, which is a sustainable fashion podcast. Um, and particularly at the moment, it's featuring a subsection called The Root, which is women of colour in the sustainable fashion sector, and they're talking about representation in that very specific area. Wardrobe Crisis, which is an Australian one, also on sustainable fashion. And then for fun, Big Mikey Dread radio reggae show, which has been running for like... 10 years. Multi Hypho is hosted and created by Candy Bowers, recorded and produced by Christian Biko, supported by Art Centre Melbourne, Creative Victoria, Darabin City Council, Bob Creative, and Candy B. Big love to our research interns and Yuri Chendrani. Multi Hypho, getting comfy on the intersection since 2020. I just want to tell listeners to get on down to SZN and uh, choose some great sustainable clothes, all made from upcycling, from bits and pieces of denim, from helping hands to like factory floor. So it's you know it's good, you know it's uh, made by Sue's and it's, uh, what do you call it, handmade in Preston? Handmade in Preston. <laughs> 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 Designed, and distributed, Preston. manufactured and delivered from Preston.